where you are lifted high, where your name is magnified above any name, uh, where we are reminded of your ongoing goodness to us and in just the amazing ways in which you have, have blessed us in Christ and, and have prepared for us a place of eternal blessing uh, through your Son. Uh, Lord, thank you for a new year. And as we look forward to what you have this year, and thank you for the blessings and the grace through the hard times of this past year, we just ask that you would continue uh, to use us as ambassadors of your glory, uh, that we would magnify you in our words and our actions, in our discipleship, in our evangelism. May all these things, uh, Lord, work uh, together again to lift your name on high in 2022. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. May we open your word and may it come forth and accomplish that which you intend and may it work in our hearts and prepare us uh, even more uh, to serve and glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our reading today is in Proverbs 16. Uh, according to the bulletin there, Proverbs 16, we'll read the first 17 verses. Starting in verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked, for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights are the in the bag are his work. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. And we'll stop there. Probably pick up there next week, I imagine. All right. Uh, if you want to go ahead and flip to Deuteronomy for our message this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 9. 
I thought with the new year coming in, it'd be nice to go to a book that is a book of looking back and looking forward. Uh, Just to give us a little context, if you're familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the children of Israel have finally come to the banks of the Jordan. They are teetering on the edge of entering into the promise of God fully and completely. Uh, They have seen his intermediate blessings through the cloud that led them by day, the fire, pillar of fire at night, the the provision of water from the stone, the provision of food and manna and quail, uh, the provision of victory over different uh, enemies that came against them in their 40 years of travel. And now they are, they are standing uh, at the precipice. Uh, there is all that behind them to remind them of God's goodness and all ahead is promise and, and hope and anticipation. And so again, uh, as we enter into a new year, it seems like a great spot for us to be standing on the, uh, on the banks of 2022, as it were, and looking forward. And uh, God has good things in store for his people. We're told that in, um, in Romans chapter 8, 28, that God works all things together for good uh, to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's us. That's believers. Uh, God has called us. Uh, we are redeemed through Christ, and God has good things in store, uh, good things of drawing us ever closer to the image of his Son. But in Deuteronomy chapter 9, there's a, a reminder that, that Moses gives the people. Uh, again, the whole book is a reminder. Uh, he's just finished back in chapter 5, going through the Ten Commandments again. Uh, he's talked about some of the promises that God has given and reminded them of those promises. And he's reminded them of their responsibilities, too. Uh, The responsibilities to follow God. uh, And that God's commands are for their good. uh, And not not for their salvation, but for their blessing, as they are saved by their Redeemer, uh, Christ, uh, in God. And so here in chapter 9... We're going to start by reading the promise that God has for them. Just the first three verses to start us off. We'll make it through the whole chapter, hopefully, this morning. But Moses, again, speaks to them. He says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you so that you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as God has said to you. So God begins with a great promise to his people. Uh, he begins by, by reminding them that God has promised them triumph in this new land. It's not that they have chosen this land of themselves. God has picked it for them, and God has great plans uh, in spite of the fact that the land that they go to possess is full of giants and walled cities. He says, this place that you are going, it has difficulties, but I am going before you. Um, He says, this plan that I have, the world might see it as impossible. In verse 2, 
uh, the, the saying of the land goes, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Uh, the people of the nations look at, at this promised land, this Canaan, as a place of impossibilities. Uh, there's no one in their mind who can go up against these great giants and these great cities. And Moses says that's what they say. But what God says is that nothing is impossible with him. He is a consuming fire. Uh, we've just seen, uh, I was just reading this morning that the, the Colorado fires are finally out. They got a snowstorm and put the fires out, which is, uh, the Lord preserved the rest of that area there. But almost a thousand homes consumed by fire. Uh, fire is not stopped by tall walls or tall individuals. Uh, God, the consuming fire, can sweep across this land he has promised to them. And God is still a consuming fire, sweeping before his people uh, those things that need to be accomplished. He works in his time. Uh, he doesn't say, I'm going to, we're going to have an eight-year campaign to take over this promised land. He says, when we go in, I'm going to go before you, and it's going to be quick. Uh, and if, you, if the people of the nations thought it was impossible, they certainly would have thought it was impossible to do it in the short time in which Israel actually was able to conquer this land as, we'll, as we'd see in the book of Joshua. Uh, but God says, none of these things are barriers to me. Nothing is impossible with God. No word that God says is he unable to fulfill. Uh, I wish I was that powerful sometimes. I, I give my word, and every once in a while, life just interrupts things. And I'm sure uh, you all have had those experiences as well. You hope to go somewhere, and you got sick. Or you hope to help someone with something, and... Uh, uh, for instance, I had a friend moving the other day, and I went out and played basketball a couple weeks ahead of time and uh, got hip-checked by my son and fell down and <laughs> dislocated my wrist, and suddenly I wasn't very helpful in the move that I had offered to help with. Uh, and so all these things that we have no control over, but God has control over all those things. God uh, has triumph uh, as, as easy as his word. He says it, and it comes to pass. And God has triumph planned for his people. Uh, he has something he wants to accomplish in each of our lives. God never saves us and just leaves us where we are. Uh, many of you have been Christians for decades. And even now, God's not finished in your life. There's still some hill he has to conquer this year. Uh, there's still some area of your life that God wants to encourage an even greater glory for himself in. Uh, to show you an even greater um, manifestation of his son in your life through his word this year. And that's what God has planned for us. And now if, if Moses had been a, a health and wealth pastor, preacher, uh, he would have probably stopped right about here. He would have named the sermon, You Can Triumph in 2022. And uh, he would have uh, put up a phone number and asked for some seed money to help grow your tree of faith this year. Uh, but I'm not like that, and Moses is not like that. Uh, Moses knows there's a problem with triumph in the Christian life, in the believer's life here. And that is that whenever good things happen, there is a danger uh, that we start taking credit for ourselves. And so Moses wants to remind the people just for a moment that as, as much power as God has, there's something that they don't have. And so let's look at verses 4 through 6 here for a second and see if you can pick out what it is the people don't have. 
Do not think in your hearts after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that God is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are all a sti- you are a stiff-necked people. All right, so three times in there, Moses reminds them that this triumph that they are about to have is not because of something they possess. What is it that they don't possess? They don't possess righteousness. They are without righteousness. Uh, And we had that lack of righteousness too in our own lives. When we came to Christ, uh, there was not something good in us that God saw and said, I want to get that person so I can just keep working on that great aspect of that, that wonderful individual that's just so close that I can tip him over the, the scale. Uh, God looks at us and he sees people desperately in lack of righteousness. And uh, at our salvation, if we thought we brought any righteousness with us, uh, we were not in the right frame of mind to receive what we really need, and that is the righteousness of Christ. It's very fascinating. Um, my minor in school was counseling, and I had to take psychology classes. And one of the funnest ones was um, statistical psychology. And so it went through a whole bunch of studies that people did. And so there was this study where, where uh, they got people who had been in um, dri- people at driving age. And they got some people with perfect driving records. They'd never been in an accident. And they got people who had had one or more accidents. And they brought them all in there. And they asked them about their driving. And so they asked the people who had never been in an accident, why is it that you've never been in an accident? And about 90% of those people said, because I'm an amazing driver. I'm just, I'm just such a good driver that I never get in car accidents. And then they went and they talked to people who'd been in car accidents. And they said, why was it that you were in a car accident? And about 85% of them blamed it on other drivers, road conditions, or just something else that, you know, you know, the classic one, the tree jumped in front of me, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so the people that had been successful took all the credit themselves. The people who had been less than successful found plenty of other people to blame for their mistakes. And God knows that about our nature. Uh, and he knows that talking to Israel. In fact, several times, one of the main warnings that he, we see in in Deuteronomy and Joshua, and we see come to fruition even in the book of Judges, is God telling the people, when you get the promised land, don't forget who gave it to you. But the people struggled with that. The people struggled thinking that they had done this thing themselves. And so Moses here, right off the bat, is reminding them, uh, it, is not, it is not your righteousness. And beware, because of that, that you don't claim this for yourself. There is no righteousness uh, in us. If you think over to um, John chapter 1, you don't have to flip there. Uh, It's a very familiar passage. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So here comes the light. And where did that light come into? Did that light come into a dusk? Did it come into a, a world of darkness sprinkled with lots of little lights everywhere that that light was coming to find? No, that light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That was the true light which gives light to every man that comes into the world. When Christ came into this world, he came into darkness. He was not the light of righteousness finding little somewhat righteous lights. He was a light shining in a world darkened by a lack of righteousness, by an unrighteousness. And he comes into that world and he gives us the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. He came to the world to show us what true righteousness was, not that we would be able to emulate him in our own strength, but so that he could then die and give us his righteousness. And as he did that for us, God is doing that for the nation of Israel here. He's saying, look, you are going in to conquer a land full of wicked people, but I want you to remember that you are also wicked people, and that the only reason you are conquering them is because I have made you my nation. I have, he, as it were, has brought in God's righteousness and placed it in the middle of the camp of Israel. Uh, he, is, he has made them his holy set-apart people, not because they themselves are holy, but because he has come to be with them. And we are holy because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He, that came into an unrighteous heart and wiped it uh, or filled it with the righteousness of Christ. And that sounds kind of depressing at first. Like, you know, I don't know that I like being a wicked, unrighteous person. Um, I don't know that, that I like the fact that God says all of us are wicked, unrighteous people. Uh, it makes it for kind of an unpleasant world to live in. Uh, and yet, because it is an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness that moves into us, it gives us a hope because if righteousness were dependent on us, we would be in so much trouble. Uh, this morning, uh, I had to get out of bed, and uh, I was doing pretty good until I woke up. You know, it's, and, uh, and then you, you start struggling. It's just there's, there's a part of us that doesn't want to do right, uh, that doesn't want to do what we know we should. And, uh, and God, by putting his righteousness in, into us in Christ, has done that work. And Israel got that mixed up a lot. I, I think uh, one of the stories where this is pictured so well is uh, the story of uh, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons. Uh, Eli, the, the high priest at the time of Samuel. And uh, in the early part of Samuel there, uh, the Philistines have come to make war on Israel. And Israel went out and they get conquered. They get defeated. And they come back with their tail between their legs, and uh, they're like, why, did we, you know, why are we the holy people? Because they've, now they've taken this as we're just awesome people. Uh, they've done exactly what Moses warned them not to do. They think their own righteousness is the heart of their power. And they say, well, I know what we did wrong. We didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And so they load up the Ark of the Covenant on Hophni and Phinehas' shoulders. They march back into battle again the next day. And the Philistines show a little more theological wisdom than the Israelites at this point because the Philistines hear the cheering. They find out that the Ark of the Covenant's there 
and they say, oh no, God has come into their camp and we are doomed. They realize that the God of Israel is a mighty God. But we, they fight anyway, because what are you going to do? There's already a, war, a battle going on, they've got to fight. And they, they win again, and they capture the ark. And for a minute, their theology slips back to the pagan theology, that our God is greater than their God. And they take that ark and they put it right in front of their God to show how, bait, how great and powerful their God is. And the next morning they get in there and their God's giant idol has fallen over face first in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, ooh, this is kind of embarrassing for, for our God. Uh, we're going to set him back up. And so they get a whole bunch of the priests and they heft their God back up on his uh, little pedestal. Uh, and they go to bed again. And they get there the next day, he's fallen down again. This time, God beheaded him and chopped his hands off as well. And so their statue of their God is laying there headless and handless, uh, showing that he has no power to actually do anything without hands and has no true mind to be able to do anything to help those people either. And then God, in his might, also plagues the people with um, a terrible disease that runs through the, the, can- the cities of the Philistines. And finally, they're fed up with it in a very short time, and they send that ark back to Israel, uh, recognizing again the power of God. Not that the people of Israel were holy and righteous and, and full of divine power, but that their God was a true God who was full of divine power. And, uh, and they are reminded of that as well and uh, are able Eventually, David comes in and gives them quite a good uh, talking to about who's holy and who's not in those situations. But anyway, the, the people there are reminded of God's holiness and their lack of holiness without him. Uh, and that reminder there, again, uh, just for a New Testament example to fill that out, um, Paul in the book of Galatians, I love the book of Galatians. I did a study on the book of Galatians uh, called The Life We Now Live. Uh, just a reminder from Paul of what we are in Christ. And if you, uh, if you haven't read Galatians for a while, you really ought to pull it out. It's just a great reminder of how God has worked in our lives and continues to work in our lives. But right in the middle of the book, right, well, not quite in the middle, but the beginning of chapter 3, uh, in the first three verses, Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or tricked you into thinking that you should, or, that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Uh, Paul is reminded, first he starts off, calls them foolish, (laughs) which is a great way to you know, warm up the, the, the people's hearts there. And then he says that they're being tricked. They're being tricked away from the truth. And the question he asked them is, when you got saved, how much of it did you do? And the answer obviously is none of it. God did the saving. God through Christ did all the work on the cross to redeem us. But his second follow-up question is, if the most important aspect, the entering into our relationship of God, was entirely by faith, through his, in, his, in his son, through his righteousness, then how much of living the Christian life should be by works? And the, the rhetorical answer is, the obvious answer there he's expecting, is none of it. 
that our righteousness was received in Christ and that our righteousness has to be fully lived out in faith in Christ. And Moses, back to our passage here, Moses is trying to get the people to understand the same thing. You are, you are a stiff-necked people, he said. You are slow learners. Uh, maybe some of you were slow learners in school and the teacher had to spend a little extra time with you. Um, I, was, I was pretty good in school. Um, the one thing that I had to do a lot of was uh, my handwriting was never very good. And so the teacher would sit there and make me write sentences over and over. Of course, before I could go to recess. And of course, I would write them as fast as I possibly could, which made my handwriting even worse. But that's okay. She was trying and she was a sweet lady. But, uh, but sometimes we're slow learners in different areas. And for the Jews, the slow learning tended to be in their relationship with God, which again shows the mercy and grace of God in choosing this people. Uh, and he says to them, you are a stiff-necked people. And just in case the people don't want, or like, Moses, I don't know that we're that bad. Moses is going to spend the next 15 or so verses reminding them of all the ways that they were stiff-necked. And so we're going to read through this pretty quickly, just as a summary of those things that they were dealing with here. He says in verse 7, remember, he said that a lot, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. He's like, you've just been provoking God all the way along. You've been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that God was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, when I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, this is the Ten Commandments, the, the whole law actually, I never ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered me to, to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Okay, God's spoken to them 40 days ago. So just 40 days, that's not too long to remember something. Uh, 40 days ago, they, God spoke to them, gave them verbally the Ten Commandments. He called Moses up on the mountain, gave the rest of the law, uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And this is what happened. Verse 12, Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Uh, a metal image, one made out of metal here. Uh, this is the golden calf. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. So first of all, Moses says, just to remind you, it's not me calling you stiff-necked. I got that straight from God. All right, so God on the mountain called them stiff-necked people. All right. Verse 15, so I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you have sinned against the Lord your God, and made for yourself a molded calf. You have turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets, and threw them out of my hand, and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord 
as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. And I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you have committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, burned it with fire, crushed it, and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. And of course, this is all the rebellion at Sinai, the making of the golden calf, um, the high priests leading in that, that exact rebellion. Um, and this was not just some little idol they were making. They put their, their own gold and wealth into this thing. They were making a national god. Uh, most idols in, that we read about in the Old Testament were wood or stone, something inexpensive. Uh, but the main central location would often have a golden idol or silver idol or something um, more valuable. And so they were, they were producing something that they had every intention of worshiping for a long period of time. And God says, look, that's just, and Moses is saying, look, that is a very clear evidence that you are a rebellious people. And then if that's not enough, he goes, let's just give a couple more verses here. Also at Tibera and Massa and Kibroth Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you, from Kadesh, sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have rebelled against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Uh, and so he gives a couple more examples here. Uh, the provocations he mentions there of God are um, times when the people complained about God's provision. Uh, he wasn't giving them water. He wasn't giving them food. He wasn't giving them meat. Uh, it was the, the complaining of the people. Um, even complaining that they wanted to go back to Egypt. <laughs> like, this wilderness is too tough. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt again. At least they ever got cucumbers uh, or, uh, or onions or whatever, however you want to translate the, the word there. Um, and this is a reminder that... I think sometimes we get this picture as we think about Israel in Egypt as these poor, righteous individuals who are being oppressed by this evil Egyptian monarch. And that's really not the case. The people in Israel, if they had been given the chance to get out of slavery and live in Egypt, would have done it happily. Uh, they, were con they would have been content with freedom in Egypt. Um, but God had something better than them, that for them. And in the, in the Bible, uh, New Testament, they often use Egypt as that picture of our life in sin before salvation. And many people are content to live as slaves to sin as long as it's not too oppressive, uh, as long as they get some nice blessings out of it. Um, and the people of Israel were willing to go back to that if, uh, if they could have in the wilderness. Uh, so they did, that was another sin, all their complaining. Uh, the sin of Kadesh Barnea. God says, go into the land. They said, let us send 12 spies. They do. They come back. They say, it's really scary up there. And they say, let's not go. And God sends them into the wilderness for another, at that time, 38 and a half more years. They'd already been in the wilderness for a year and a half at that point. Uh, and they spend 40 years in the wilderness because of that. 
And then Moses, at the end of all that, even references back to when he first came to Egypt to get them out. And he comes in the power of God and starts doing these plagues upon is on Egypt. And by the second or third one in, the people are saying, stop. <laughs> You're making life hard on us. We don't want God's deliverance. We just want you to leave. And, uh, and even then they were in rebellion against, uh, he says there, from the day I knew you. Um, even then they were in rebellion against God. And so all of this rebellion all of this unrighteousness, uh, and yet God is still going to bless them. God is still going to choose them to show his power and his might that we sang about um, our mighty God this morning in the first song. And notice as we, uh, as we wrap up the end of the, the chapter here, notice what he says. Moses says, then I prostrated myself before the Lord Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness because they're really great people. No, that's not what he says. Do not destroy them whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of your people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us, brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he has promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. And we'll say the last verse for just a moment here. But God, Moses makes a couple theological points here as he's praying to God. And God, he's praying to God according to God's nature. Uh, God was, God had redeemed these people. It says there in verse, uh, verse six, therefore I pray, Lord, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness. Uh, The first thing Moses says, the first theological point he makes in his prayer, and Moses' prayers are very theologically rich. If you ever Again, another fun study is to go through and read the prayers of Moses. Uh, there's a lot of theology and, and speaking of God's greatness and his character in them. But the first thing he says is, God, you will not destroy the people you have redeemed. Um, again, we see that in our own lives as believers. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we have been placed in the hand of God at salvation, and no one can pluck us out of that hand. God has redeemed us in Christ, and as, as unlikely as it would be for God to reject Christ, it is that unlikely that he will reject those who are placed in Christ. That is the confidence we have in Christ. We are secure because we are his redeemed. And God, uh, God does not destroy. He preserves those who he has redeemed through his power. The second thing Moses says is, God, you keep your promises. You kept your promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Uh, You promised them a great nation, and you have made a great nation. Uh, At this point, Israel numbered over two million. Uh, They were a large people moving through the wilderness. And uh, they were going to grow even larger. And that was just the beginning of the promises. There's still the promise of uh, their land. There's still the promise of continued growth and preservation. There's still the promise of a Messiah. 
And all these things, God, Moses says, God, you are a promise-keeping God, and you are going to keep your promises to your people. And God has made great promises to us as well. Uh, a great way, again, to pray is just to look at the promises God has made in the word and say, God, I know you're faithful, and you've made this promise, and I, I'm just praying that you will bring this promise to pass in my life this year. Um, he that has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. That's what God's doing this year. That's the promise he made in each believer's life. Uh, and he says, God, you are a God who will not break your promises. And God, finally, in verse 28 here, he says, God will work with mighty power in the lives of his people. Again, verse 28, lest the land which you brought us uh, out from should say, because the Lord has not been able to bring them to the land which he promised, doubting God's promises, doubting God's power, that God is not able to, uh, and that God hates them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. God works with mighty power, and he does it so the world around can see his redeeming work. Because, verse 29, in spite of all these things, in spite of all the ways that we fail and all the unrighteousness that we brought into uh, the relationship that had to be buried under the infinite righteousness of Christ, in spite of all that, yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your might, mighty power and by your outstretched arm. Just as Israel was redeemed with a righteousness foreign to themselves. They were redeemed by a righteous God. A God who earlier in the chapter says, I'm going to wipe these people out um, for my glory and because of their wickedness. And yet he had placed his righteousness over this people, a covering righteousness for them in the Old Testament. And just as he did that for them, he has done that for us in Christ. Uh, we have a foreign righteousness dwelling in us. And it is a righteousness that we never could have created on our own. A righteousness um, above and beyond what any human is capable of producing. The righteousness of Christ makes you a new person and empowers you for the spiritual growth God has planned for your life this year and for my life and for all of our lives. We thank him for his righteousness, and we look to him for a deeper relationship and a new spiritual triumph in the year to come. Not because we triumph in our own strength, um, but because we triumph in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and uh, glorify you uh, for the goodness and love that you show us day by day. I pray that you would, in your mighty power, uh, continue the work of righteousness in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, Lord, we have nothing that we brought uh, to this relationship. Uh, we have nothing to sustain this relationship. We have nothing to grow in this relationship. All those things come through you. And we pray as you work uh, through the Spirit, by the power of Christ in our lives this year, that we would that we would see the triumph of Christ in us, our hope of glory, and that we would live in that triumph day by day. 
Uh, Fill us with your power. Help us to be uh, instruments of encouragement to one another in our walk with Christ this year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.